This is a WQXR Cafe concert with violinist Anne Akiko Myers. She performs three pieces. Her arrangement of the Star Spangled Banner, an arrangement of the Japanese folk tune Kojo no Tusuki, and finally, Charlie Chaplin's famous song Smile. Subscribe to Cafe Concerts on iTunes and never miss an episode.
Violinist Anakiko Myers is with us on WQXR, performing in the cafe here at WQXR. And she's not playing on just any old fiddle either. She's got the Vuitton Guarneri del Gesù, an instrument with a very prestigious reputation. Uh, a couple of years ago in 2012, it was sold for what was reported to be something on top of $16 million. Its owner has loaned it to her for life. And to put the Vuitton to the test, she recently recorded Vivaldi's Four Seasons with the English Chamber Orchestra. Anna Kiko Myers, it is always a pleasure to welcome you to WQXR. Thank you for having me here, Jeff. The violin is from 1741, one of the best preserved old violins from the era. How did it stay in such good condition over the years? Because sometimes these things, even the great instruments, are, uh, well, they just go through some interesting experiences. But Absolutely. this thing looks pretty much in mint condition. It is in mint condition, and it's really extraordinary how it's been preserved over the centuries. And um, it doesn't have even one crack on it, and it doesn't even have the normal sound post patch, which almost every violin has. And it's a muse for so many violin makers and violinists because no one really knows why it's in such pristine condition. And this condition has helped the sound of the violin really um, just soar. And it has these overtones that are so extraordinarily beautiful. I'm amazed that a number of the windows in the cafe were not <laughs> cracked or burst by the sound. <laughs> it's, it's not a big violin, but the sound that comes out of it is enormous. Mm-hmm. Were you surprised when you put a bow across it for the first time at how big yes, the sound was? it projects like none other. And it's really a beast in the best sense. (laughs) So how have you learned to use it? Because it's like a great horse. It's Mm -hmm. wonderful to have Mm -hmm. this fantastic steed, but you kind of have to learn how to ride it. So what have you had to do to learn how to play this thing? Well, I've been playing on other Guaneri del Jesus throughout my life, as well as Strads. And every violin is uniquely different, size-wise, how you sculpt the sound from the violin. Um, And with this violin, there's definitely there was a learning curve to it. And it had been sitting under a bed for 50 years. So um, the sound was really blossoming. Even now, it's still growing. And um, it's amazing to hear the change and the development in sound, um, because it's kind of screaming to be played. That's a euphemism when you say it was sitting under a bed for 50 years. What do you mean by that? The previous owner told me, actually, that he kept it under his bed. (laughs) Did he know what he had? Oh, absolutely. He's a a philanthropist and collector and has donated a lot of art to the Tate Museum in London. Listen, you run out of space on the walls. you got to put some stuff under the bed (laughs) and the violin. He thought that was the safest spot in the (laughs) house. (laughs) apparently apparently he was right. Now, it's been reported that this has been loaned to you for the rest of your life. How did it come to you? How did you find it? Did you seek it out? How did, how did it wind up in your hands? <laughs> well, it's really incredibly unusual for a violin of this caliber to even become available on the market. And most of these violins are normally in museums. I mean, you have like Fritz Chrysler's Guarneri, which I tried at the Library of Congress, or Yasha Heifetz's, which is in a museum, Paganini's is in Genoa. So um, for a violin to actually come onto the market like this, it got a lot of attention. But it was a private sale, and um, the owner really wanted this violin to be heard. 
and luckily chose me to um, have this violin be played on. But he, they, they really wanted to make sure that the condition would be preserved and cared for greatly, and the security of it is really up all the time. Are there restrictions on where you can take it, what you can do with it? Yes, there are restrictions. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Do you want to tell me more about that or not? And <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> no. Um, well, one of the conditions when working with the sponsor was, you know, I explained that I had had many violins throughout my life that were wonderful instruments, but there always come a time when they would have to be taken back. And you invest your soul into these instruments, and it's really like getting your arm amputated. I mean, you you just can't imagine not being with this, your best friend, you know, traveling around the world. And so they really understood this dilemma and plight of most musicians and gave me the great honor of playing it for the rest of my life. Vuitton took very good care of it, I guess, during the, I don't know, how long did he have it, 50 years, something No, like that? he didn't have it for that long. And he unfortunately suffered many strokes, very debilitating strokes. And so he was composing a lot. And that could have something to do with the state of its preservation, it being so incredible. And um, the wood inside the violin is so thick. It was very in fashion for violin makers to actually take the tops off the violins and scrape away the wood inside, thinking that it would help make it project more. Make a thinner soundboard, it's going to vibrate harder. Exactly. But it's quite the opposite. And um, luckily, nobody did that with this violin. But, you know, this violin also was so coveted throughout history. I mean, not only by Vuitton, but um, Eugene Izai, who was his pupil, and actually walked the violin on a pillow behind Vuitton's hearse on his funeral day. I actually saw a picture of this, and it blew my mind. But Eugene Izai couldn't even afford to buy the violin. So after Vuitton had it, where did it go? It went to a collector, um, and it's been with collectors ever since. It's an interesting dilemma because there are lots mm-hmm. of really fine instruments, and I guess that we should preserve the work of these great violin makers and not have the risk of something happening to this. On the other hand, they aren't meant to be displayed. They're meant to be played. Absolutely. And, you know, to come to the realization that I will never in my lifetime be able to own my own equipment like that. It's a strange feeling. I mean, I cannot think of any other profession that relies on antique instruments on a daily basis as instrumentalists. There is no other profession. And to think that this violin is older than the USA itself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's astonishing. It's astonishing. And you can put it on your back and have it with you all the time. It's just an amazing, amazing thing. So... In Milwaukee, concertmaster of the symphony there had his violin taken from him. How do you deal with this idea, carrying mm-hmm. these things around? What do you do? It's a very scary thing, and thankfully he was okay and not that hurt. And the instrument was recovered as well. The, the instrument was recovered. Yeah. Um, so you can't get away with taking away a, an incredible violin 
that the world knows about. I mean, there's just, you can't run away with it. There's nowhere to go. Right. But, you know, even that, I'm always very aware of where the violin is. It's in the corner, <laughs> <laughs> right behind me. And there are lots of security measures in place when I'm traveling. Fortunately, it's not like a cello or something. You don't have to check it, so you keep. It I with never you check it. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. So that that uh, there is that element of security to it mm-hmm. too. Your new recording is of the Four Seasons. You've played it before. How is it different on this instrument to play that very well known work of Vivaldi? Well, I wanted to choose really iconic music to showcase this iconic violin. Which has not been heard by modern audiences, nor has it been recorded by modern instruments. Right. I was just flabbergasted when I found out that no one had ever recorded on the Vuitton before. And so I really wanted to make a grand debut. And the Vivaldi is one of the most colorful works. And with the violin being as glorious sounding as it is, it really captured the color of the composition so incredibly. Is it easier to play this violin than the other instruments you've played? And easier, I know, is a pretty um, flip way to describe what you do, but is it is it easier? No. It definitely doesn't play itself. <laughs> definitely not. It seems that, you know, when you have such a powerful instrument, you want to dig in deeper and really just kind of soak in the juice. and But with this instrument, almost less is more. So it's counterintuitive. Um, you have to really finesse it a certain way. It has some sweet spots in it. Though. Definitely. Yeah. And so you have to find those and learn how to... Yeah, it's really like driving a Lamborghini. Right. I mean... Well, I think we can all relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that you're right. I think it's a it's an apt analogy. You're playing a super heterodyne object <laughs> here, and yeah, you do have to learn how to how to use it properly yeah. and what it's capable of, and and what not about it, especially to take for granted. You performed at NPR recently, and that performance generated a lot of discussion on that website about the merits of old instruments and new instruments. I, you've got this one in your pocket, but what else do you think about that? debate. Are the old ones that much better than the things that are being turned out by very conscientious, hardworking, struggling violin makers today? Well, really, there was one Monet. There was one Picasso. There was one Stradivarius. You know, there was one Guarneri del Gesù. We tried to emulate these incredible makers, but they were artists, you know, that were just transcendent. And, um, I think it's just so important to cherish these instruments as much as we can. But I I do have modern instruments, and right now, actually, I'm having a copy of the Vuitton made, and I just looked at it yesterday, and the top has 350-year-old wood that the maker's using. Wow. And Proof once again that you should not really not throw anything away, I think, because you never know. <laughs> in time when it's going to be just of incredible value. <laughs> that's, that's amazing that they were able to find yeah. to have wood that, that old. Incredible. Is that copy done yet? No. Okay. It, it'll take several more months. All right. It's just so fascinating to see, you know, like a 
a cousin or a sister, you know, right. a twin sister coming together. Yeah. Like, well, wow. you're trying to clone it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. can it be done? Now, that's not the only violin. The Guarneri is not the only violin you have. You have a Strad that is about 50 years older, actually, than this um, uh, Guarneri, uh, the Molitor mm-hmm. Strad. How do you choose between which to use in a particular performance? I actually am exclusively playing on the Vuitton now. Okay. Well, it's wonderful. With a great new instrument, a great new old instrument to showcase. Under a bed no longer. This (laughs) fabulous Vuitton Guarneri violin. Congratulations on its acquisition and on sharing it with the world. Anna Kiko Myers, it's a delight to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you.